people forget that ice is frozen water. And they can be very careful about not drinking the water and then order a cocktail over ice. And ice is frozen water and ice is going to melt and it's going to have those germs in it. You're listening to Take Off to Travel, a weekly dive into the travels of your hosts, Colin and Olivia. We're going on a world trip for 13 months with just $25,000 each. Each week, you'll hear our tales, tips, and tricks as we explore the world. Hello and welcome to Take Off to Travel podcast. I'm Colin. And I'm Olivia. Today, we are talking about travel vaccinations and our budget spreadsheet. Olivia, you really focused on the travel vaccinations for this podcast episode. Uh, Why don't you tell me a little bit about it? So this all started maybe about a year ago when I went in for my annual physical with my doctor and I told her about what we were doing and she actually recommended that we seek out a travel specialist because even though she said that she was happy to help me look at different articles and stuff and figure out what we needed to get in terms of vaccines and medications and whatnot, she said that that just wasn't her specialty. And so she recommended that I reach out to a travel nurse. And so I did actually do that. And as you'll hear in a little bit, we actually interviewed her to get a little bit more understanding about what exactly travel medicine is, what you need to know about it and more. But I found her really interesting because there was so much that goes into travel medicine that I'd never thought about before. Yes, she has a lot of knowledge in a very specific part of healthcare that I really haven't had much exposure exposure to. Thank you. I haven't had much exposure to. So it was very interesting to hear what she had to say. Yeah, one of the things that I remember sticking out We did like a consultation before she came and actually gave us our medicines. And I just vividly remember her talking about how ice can get you sick because in so many parts of the world, ice is part frozen water and frozen water is not always safe to drink. And people will be really, really careful about not drinking water and then they'll go have a cocktail and that sucks. Anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that was uh, eye-opening. For sure. The other thing, I think she talks about this in the interview, so I won't give too much away, but she talked about how you should be really mindful of only eating fruit that you can peel, because if you eat fruit that doesn't peel, then there's a chance that water has been on it, and same deal. And so because we were doing all this additional research into the vaccinations, and and after consulting with a nurse doe originally, uh, we just wanted to hear more about what she had to say, and Olivia sat down with her. Hello, I'm here with Nurse Doe Jacobs from Arcadia Physicians Travel Clinic. I'm so glad to have you here, Doe. Thank you. I'm happy to be here myself. So to get us started, what is the most common misconception about travel medicine? They assume that if a country doesn't require vaccines for entry, then they don't need vaccines. And it's quite the opposite, because when governments are setting their requirements for travelers, their focus is protecting their citizens. So they're concerned about you importing diseases. For example, a lot of countries require proof of yellow fever vaccine prior to entry into the country. Many of those countries don't even have yellow fever in the country, but they require proof of it because they have the perfect climate that yellow fever could thrive, and they don't want people importing yellow fever. So just because a country doesn't require vaccines for travel doesn't mean that you don't need them. Could you tell me a little bit about why someone should seek out a travel medicine specialist instead of just their primary care doctor? That's a great question too. In order to become a travel medicine 
specialists. It takes a lot of study and a lot of knowledge. Travel medicine specialists study a rigorous course of information, and then they have to pass a test to prove that they retain that knowledge. And it's in-depth knowledge about all kinds of diseases that are present around the world. Disease risk around the world is ever-changing. So just a few years back, chloroquine was a great medication that could be used to prevent malaria in South America. It's not an option there anymore. There's chloroquine-resistant malaria all around the world, but in South America. So a primary care provider is so busy staying current on all of their primary care things, they can't stay current on what malaria medication works in what parts of the world. And so you may go to your primary care doctor and be prescribed a medication that's totally not effective there. It is very important that you seek out somebody who specializes in this area of medicine and deals with it routinely and stays current on the latest information. What do you wish that more people knew about preparing to travel from a medical perspective? Prevention is the key to prepare to travel. There is a lot of disease around the world, and much of it is life-threatening. But we have science that has brought us wonderful advances in disease prevention. I think travel is very, very important, but it can have risk of disease. If you can be proactive and plan ahead and prevent disease rather than reactive and respond when you get disease, you can travel the world and have a wonderful experience and enjoy other cultures and learn about other people. So one of the places that I know is really taking off in terms of popularity is Southeast Asia. Do you have any advice for travelers who are traveling there to stay healthy? Southeast Asia is a wonderful place. It's just a wonderful culture. And I'm actually going there in just a couple of months. So I'm so excited to experience it. But there's a lot of disease in Southeast Asia. There's a lot of mosquito-borne disease. So people who travel there uh, need to refer to malaria maps to see what parts of the countries there have malaria and if they will need malaria prophylaxis while they're there. Um, the sanitation practices in Southeast Asia are not to the same level that our sanitation is here in the United States. And so that puts people at risk for foodborne illness. Their water systems are not as safe as ours are. So drinking water from the tap is really not a good idea in Asia. There are diseases like hepatitis A, typhoid, Japanese encephalitis, rabies, all of these diseases, depending on where you're going in Southeast Asia and your length of stay, those are vaccines that may be recommended. So what's something that would surprise an American traveler that could get them sick? Two things come to mind. Precautions to avoid mosquito bites are really important. Some mosquito-borne illnesses we have vaccines to protect against, others we have medications to protect against, but there are a lot of diseases that mosquitoes transmit that we don't yet have vaccines for. So really preventing mosquito bites is a big thing. Do you have any advice on how to prevent mosquito bites? There are 
a lot of insect repellents on the market with varying degrees of effectiveness. So it's good that you ask that because it's really important that you use a repellent with some scientific evidence behind it. DEET is the gold standard repellent. If you use a DEET product, you want something between 30 and 50%. You can find 100% DEET products on the market, but no DEET product can protect you more than 50%. And if you use those higher concentration products, you, you're risking absorbing DEET systemically. Many people are hesitant to use a DEET product, so other options are picaridin. That's another repellent that has some good scientific evidence and works very well. Oil of lemon eucalyptus is another, but you can also use precautions to prevent mosquito-borne illness by treating your, the clothing that you wear so that your clothing repels mosquitoes. You can find at REI or some other camping type stores product called permethrin that you can spray on your clothing to prevent mosquito bites. And once you do that, you can launder your clothes four or five times and they'll still repel mosquitoes. But then also using common sense things like wearing long sleeved clothes, long pants. The places that where mosquitoes thrive are typically hot and humid climates. So that's kind of a hard thing to do. But if you can find lightweight, long sleeve clothing, that's a good option. Many places you may want to sleep under a mosquito net. A lot of places in the world, that's kind of standard that you sleep under a net. Obviously, if you're staying in a place that has air conditioning and the windows are closed, you don't need to sleep under a net. Is there anything else that would surprise American travelers that might get them sick? Ice. <laughs> so we talked about that you need to be careful with water, that Drinking tap water in most of the world is not a good idea. People forget that ice is frozen water, and they can be very careful about not drinking the water and then order a cocktail over ice, and ice is frozen water, and ice is going to melt, and it's going to have those germs in it. Heat can kill the germs that can make you sick, but cold doesn't, so don't forget that ice is frozen water, and Ice is okay if you're certain that it's made from filtered water or bottled water that's safe to drink. But if you're not certain, I would avoid ice. What's your biggest piece of advice for someone who's about to travel in terms of staying healthy? Stay alert to avoid accidents. A lot of people don't realize that people become ill from accidents far more than they become ill when they travel from communicable disease. So if you're traveling in a strange place where you're not familiar with the streets, where you have difficulty reading the road signs, where you're driving on the other side of the street than you're accustomed to, you're going to be more likely to experience an accident. So stay alert, pay attention to the rules and the, of the laws of the land. And also be careful when you're doing an adventure. If you're going on a hike, we see a lot of people become ill from twisting their ankle on a hike or breaking a bone or something like that. So um, try and stay alert and, and protect yourself from accidents. How much does it cost someone to protect themselves from potential illness while they're traveling? That's a tough question because that really varies. It depends on where in the world you're going, what vaccines might be recommended for that area. Some places in the world 
you might need more vaccines than another place. And it also depends on what vaccines you've previously had. A lot of vaccines that are recommended for international travel, once you receive them, you have lifetime protection. A big variable in the cost is your age because whatever vaccines were recommended as part of the routine childhood immunizations when you were growing up is going to be a big determiner on what vaccines are going to be recommended for you. I will tell you that vaccines aren't cheap. They can be very expensive depending on what vaccines are needed. Oftentimes insurance doesn't cover vaccines that are recommended for travel. So Many of these vaccines have to be paid for out of pocket. And so if somebody wants to know specifically what vaccines they are going to need, I would recommend that they call and speak to a travel professional and they can advise them and then let them know what the cost would be. Do you have any advice on how someone could get more information about vaccines or medicines specific to their travels? The CDC site is a wealth of information. You can go to cdc.gov travel. That's the CDC's travel site. They have pages for every country that you can imagine. So you can just type in where you're going and they will talk about vaccines that are recommended for that area. If there are vaccines required for that country, that will be listed there as well. It'll talk about malaria prevention. While the CDC site is a good resource, I would also recommend that you call and schedule an appointment with a travel medicine professional who can learn your unique travel plans, your unique health history, and help you to determine a plan that will work for you. So how would someone get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more in Arizona? So uh, my name is Doe Jacobs. I am an RN and I work at Arcadia Physicians Travel Clinic. Our phone number is 602-875-5678. They could also find us on our website, which is www.travelshots.net. I'm certified in travel medicine, so I'd be happy to help out. So why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about what we've had to do in terms of travel medicine, like what vaccines have we gotten? What medications are we bringing? How much money have we spent? That kind of stuff. So we have ordered the malaria pills that we can take while we're there. We have gotten our meningitis vaccination, tetanus booster, typhoid, flu, and adult polio vaccinations. Once we get to Thailand, we're also planning to get Japanese encephalitis and rabies. And the main decision-making factor in why we're doing those there as opposed to at home is purely cost. Because for us, we are in Thailand so long that we felt like it made more sense to get it while we're there because there's a difference in price of $350 a dose in the United States, if you can even find Japanese encephalitis, to $25 a dose in Thailand. And so for us, it was a no-brainer. But I do know that if you're in a foreign country for less time and you don't have the amount of flexibility to basically wait long enough between doses and find the right doctor, then it probably is a better idea to get those at home. Yeah, with us already spending, I spent $405 on my vaccinations. I don't know what your total came out to be. But with us already spending a good chunk of money on vaccinations, we had to be cost effective when making some of these decisions. 
Yeah, we also did get up to date on most of our routine vaccinations as well. So we got flu shots and I know we both got tetanus and we both got meningitis, like you mentioned. And we also just got the newest COVID booster because that I anticipate that that will probably be a requirement to enter certain countries at some point on our trip. So we'd rather do it now while it's covered by insurance than wait a few months. Another really key factor in our planning to prepare to travel was this incredible spreadsheet that Colin built that I'll let him kind of give an overview of in a minute, but it's been something that we've referred to time and time again throughout every part of the process, from the very beginning when we picked destinations to this point now where we're actually tracking a few beginning expenses. Yeah, there are two what I would consider big aspects of our Google Sheets um, document. The first being our estimated budget. So we sat down six months ago, something like six months ago, and figured out roughly within a range of, we gave ourselves some cushion, but we found out roughly what everything would cost in terms of Airbnb, travel, flights, the public transit while we're there for the month, groceries, visas if there were any, and then tracking costs like our travel insurance every month. Then extra costs, what we like to call fun money, what vaccines will cost in certain countries while we're there. So how much did we budget overall for the whole trip? Overall, we budgeted $55,000, 25 coming from me and 30 coming from you. Uh, you had the extra cost because you're taking master's classes. So it comes to roughly us both spending $25,000 on the trip while you have those extra overhead costs that you can't really control. And then the actual spent tab. So it's our estimated budget and I cleared all the numbers away and then we are adding the numbers that we're spending as we go. So it's almost like a real time look in on what we've spent so far, where we're standing and how much more we could spend. Right. So I have each column or, or category of expenditure, Airbnbs, travel flight, uh, public transit, groceries, visas, all that. Each column, we have a total of how much we've spent throughout. We have it, that broken down per person. So each person spent half of what we've spent so far. And that's broken into categories as well. We have our total spent and our total spent per person. And then for fun, I wanted to break it down per month and per day. So how much are we spending per month roughly and how much we're spending per day? Because each country is going to cost a little different. We don't have a set number per month, but more a very varying total for each month, depending on how much we're expecting to spend that month. And then I have my actual costs per month and your actual cost per month, and then what we're spending per month. And to kind of tell the difference between those, that's what we're spending minus our extra costs, so our fund money, and then added in our fund money. And then I have an average per month remaining. So right now, average per month, based off of what we spent so far, I have $1,000 remaining, and you have 932. So I find that interesting that those numbers already split a little bit. And then we have many, many other tabs, more administration to help us keep track of or 
just more information on certain things. So we're tracking our flights, airline, where we're leaving from, booking number, price, flight numbers, all that kind of stuff. We have our visas with the links of where to get them when it's time. We have the COVID requirements for each country. We have the Airbnbs, day, the start date, end date, and cost, as well as the address and the link to the Airbnb booking. So we can find that as well. And we have the vaccines, which we I kind of read through already, and our insurance and just keeping track of different policies while we're um, abroad. So what do you think is going to be the most significant expense per month? The most significant expense is probably going to be our the flight there and our living expenses while we're there. So Airbnb and our flights. The most expensive month in terms of those two budgeted is going to be Australia because it's going to cost a lot of money to fly there. It's going to cost a lot of money to fly from there. And it's going to cost a lot of money to live there for the month. And how are we doing so far overall with your variants? Actually, a couple days ago, I, I checked this. Uh, we are, as of right now, we have booked flight and travel to and from the first three countries. And we are just over $1,000 under budget. So we're, we're doing a really good job. And that just means more fun money for us, more adventures that we get to do along this more grand adventure. So one thing that I think we did really well is researching the prices of all the different places that we're going, especially in terms of airfare and lodging, because obviously you can go anywhere and you can find a place you can stay for $1,000 a night. That's no problem. But finding something that's mid-budget, that meets your needs and our specific needs, we decided were a Wi-Fi, kitchen, and a washing machine not a dryer, but those three. And so finding a place that had those three things in a reasonable range in a good part of town and kind of mapping out what we think that will actually cost us when we get there, I think we did a good job because we kind of sampled different cities. Not to say that we did it mathematically, but when we were making these numbers of the estimated budget, we went through each of the cities that we were planning to go to and kind of found a range. It's like, hey, there's a lot around this price range that meet our budget. There, Obviously, again, like I said, you can always go up unless you're us and you have a limited budget. But finding what was realistic in the places that we're going, because as you said, Australia was significantly more expensive than a lot of others. Obviously, places like Thailand and Vietnam, by definition, are going to just be cheaper because yeah. the cost of living is so much cheaper. But I think we did a good job. Yeah, to, to kind of put that into perspective, we we spend around, after taxes and fees and stuff, around $1,700 for our rent here in Phoenix. Australia, for the month, is going to cost us $1,642, while Vietnam is going to cost us $438 to live there for the month. So there's a huge range of uh, living expenses, which is why the the budget for each month is so different from each other. So one expense that we did decide to keep consistent was groceries. Could you talk a little bit about why we decided to do that? First of all, I think it comes from a lack of knowledge of what we're going to do in each country in terms of how much are we going to eat at the street vendors and how much it the cost varies from eating out to 
making groceries or making our dinners at home. Uh, something I've heard about Thailand and Vietnam is that it may be cheaper for us to eat out. And so that grocery money can go towards eating out. But for the European countries and the countries where we're most likely not going to be able to eat out a lot, we took what we spend in Phoenix per month. Which is around $400. Around $400 and applied that to those countries. So I think as we go, we'll be able to sort of adjust that based on our expenditures. But I also think we need to be realistic that a lot of the places we're going in Europe are just expensive and we're not going to be able to eat out very much. And so I think it's likely that our grocery bill will be pretty close to what it is at home in Phoenix right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. In an effort to be transparent with you guys, we actually want to share our spreadsheet with you so you can follow along as we're spending our money and traveling the world and see how far off we were, whether we're way, way, way over budget or way, way, way under budget. And we'll be keeping track of each expense from each day. And we're hoping that by having this resource that you guys will be able to see that it's actually pretty attainable. And obviously we're gonna make mistakes along the way and we're gonna overspend in some places by accident. But I think that overall, having taking a look at our spreadsheet will be really valuable for you and we hope that you use it. So next week, we will be talking about what we're packing, how we're doing it, what we're bringing, what we're not bringing, and more. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.